Welcome to the TEH, the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast, where several hosts talk about what they find interesting in tech this week. The show notes for this episode are at tehpodcast.com slash teh48. The featured tweet on the TEH homepage is unusual this week. It's from Kevin. You have to see it to believe it because it's pretty hilarious. This week, we have two hosts. I'm Randy Cassingham, founder of ThisIsTrue.com, the oldest entertainment feature on the internet, and the internet spam primer, helping you get your inbox back. And I'm Gary, and I'm the host and producer at MacMost.com, where I do Apple stuff, CleverMedia.com, where I do uh, you know, mobile apps, and WPTipsAndHacks.com, where I do WordPress stuff. woo yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so what did you do this week? What did I do? Well, <clears throat> I did, um, I guess it's worth noting, I, I binge-watched the Amazon series, The Man in High Castle, which is third season in, I think I watched like the first episode when it first came out. I and, don't know what it is. Well, The Man in High Castle is a, a, a book, very old sci-fi book from Philip K. Dick. Um mm. And so they, they decided to make a series out of it. And uh, basically the story is that the Axis won the, won the war. <laughs> and Uh-oh. the entire world is uh, <clears throat> divided between the Reich and the Empire, um, including the United States, cut right down the Rocky Mountains. Hey, interesting for you and me, we, we would be living in the neutral zone. Mm. Uh, the zone between the uh, Germany and Japan, and, and there were, I guess, they created a little buffer between each other. But anyway, it's you know, it's a sci-fi book, so it deals obviously with alternate kind of universes, multiple universes, and uh, this universe being one that is not ours, but there is some crossover. Mysterious films show up that are not from their universe, but from our universe, um, which leads to kind of science fiction-y and kind of fantasy themes about, you know, being able to see or move between universes and things like that. It yeah, is interesting. I'd like to be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel I have. I just haven't had any control over it. I've just been forced into this one. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, what's interesting um, from, you know, I was thinking from the standpoint of like our podcast is, um, when they create an alternative uh, you know, universe like that, and this actually takes place like the book did, it takes place in 1962. So it's not you know, 2018 you know, right. if the Axis had won. It's, That's probably when he wrote it. Yeah, exactly. So the idea being that um, they have to come up with things to show, like what's the world like in 1962 if you know, Germany and Japan had won? Um, and some things they make look, you know, they make exactly the same. Uh, so, you know, maybe the style of telephones and um, some other technologies and architecture, you know, didn't change. You know, this, the outcome of the war didn't change that progress. And other times it did. They, they keep showing, for instance, the Germans flying around in planes that look almost exactly like Concords. Hmm. You know, with the idea being that they put an emphasis on being able to get around their empire quickly, so they just developed a fleet of Concorde, you know, supersonic jets, and they show them a lot prominently in in this. Um, they also show video phones using like kind of 1962 video 
technology. There's some times when they show computer screens. And I think they looked a little bit beyond 1962. They looked more like late 60s to me. But they were, you know, really high. They were supposed to be like, you know, you know, the highest levels of security and research in, you know, it wasn't like people had them in their homes. Nobody had anything in their homes. Their homes, people were dirt poor. But so I always think it's interesting when coming up with the universe like that, you know, fleshing it out for a TV. Well, I, I can think of one thing that would be really freaky if Germany won the war. Yeah. That, you know, in the 60s and 70s, all over the, the United States, you'd see Volkswagens. Actually, they, they have that. <laughs> they, they do show Volkswagens being driven around, uh, particularly in New York, you know, where the Germans had control. I in They didn't really have... You know, the, uh, a lot of it takes place in New York and a lot takes place in San Francisco. And in San Francisco, and it's a very different situation. There was a lot of kind of the, you know, the Camelot America, you know, from around 1962. You know, people living in the suburbs with their homes and very, you know, that very East Coast feel of like baby boomer America. But it was with, of course, a lot more swastikas. <laughs> and, yeah. th- and then in California, it was very, uh, very different view that they came up with. There were still lots of architecture and things going on, but for the most part, there was a, uh, a great amount of segregation. So the, you know, it's interesting. I, I, whenever you do an alternate universe thing like that, just coming up, figuring out what technology is there, what isn't, what's ahead of its time, what's behind, what changed in design, and doing that to me is fascinating. I'm sure other people watching the show don't care so much about that, but right. I'm always looking behind the scenes and saying, ah, somebody working on the show made the decision that those machines there would look like that in this world. And, uh, and it's fascinating. So how about yeah. you? What, what, what were, are you up to this week? Well, my thing isn't anywhere near as involved or interesting as yours, but I got tired of, you know, if I research something, especially like on my phone, then all I see is ads for that thing. And it's been driving me crazy. So I have switched to Firefox Focus as my browser. That's an Android. I'm not sure if it's on iPhone or not. And its whole thing, it's kind of a tighter, faster version of Firefox that's optimized for privacy. So Anytime you close a tab or back out of the program, it erases all of the the uh, cookies and, and history of what you did. Oh. So, so there's no tracking and, and finding out uh, what you researched and then pitching those ads at you. And I know that Chrome has an incognito and all that, but you know I'm I'm starting to get a little bit wary of Google knowing everything so Mm. this is just a little way to you know get a little control back and there is a a firefox web browser um for ios that you could download from the app store for for free and i don't know exactly what the features are but it does say its little description is fast and private browsing so yeah and that's their differentiator now is that they're really working on privacy and uh I'm not sure exactly. I mean, uh, Firefox and Firefox Focus on Android get have the same rating. That's 4.4. And it just seems, though, that, you know, lots of people are kind of complaining that Firefox is slow on Android. 
But I'll tell you, the Firefox Focus is really snappy. And there is a Firefox Focus. Oh, there is. Okay, for good. iOS as well. So there's both. And it does say Firefox Focus, privacy browser, always on ad blocking. So, yeah, it does ad blocking too. I, I yeah. did notice I went to one of my own sites that has ads and I didn't see any ads there. But, you know, I, I'm not going to complain too much about that. I, I get it. You know, there's just too freaking many ads. And even though my sites aren't piled with ads, uh, you know, I, I understand people getting tired of them. Yeah, especially uh, with the election. There's a lot of uh, political ads that have joined the uh, regular ads. And I, I will say that, you know, you know, advertising in, a, in the browser and, and mobile, it's just like on TV. There are good ads and bad ads as far as design. I mean, don't you, I, I don't know if you, you bother to watch commercials on TV. Sometimes I get stuck watching them, like if I'm watching a sports event or, you know, and it's live or maybe I'm watching something and I can't skip commercials because of the way it's recorded. But sometimes there are ads that are so well done and there's so much art that goes into making it that I just don't mind watching it. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's a nicely done ad. You know what I mean? I, yeah. Most everything I watch on TV is recorded first on a DVR. Right. And, and usually yeah, I skip the ads. Um, but every once in a while, I say, what was that? And back up and look at the ad. Sure. And, you know, sometimes it's really clever or really well produced, like you say. Um, I find most of those, I don't remember what the product was later, which, you know, basically means the ad is a failure. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I absolutely do do that. Yeah. And I think the same is kind of true for online ads. I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen an ad that I would go and say, wow, you got to see this online ad. It's great. But there are certainly ads that are well done. And there are ads that are just junk from a design standpoint, you know. It's just a cheap right. thrown together ad. And a lot of these political ads, you know, even if it's harmless, it's just, you know, vote for this candidate or vote yes on this issue or no in this issue. They're just, you look at them and it's just like, what are they doing with fonts and that image? And it's just, <laughs> it's just like, is it 1997? You know, because yeah. <laughs> it's just horrible stuff. So political ads are really bad with that. And now we see a lot of them. Well, speaking of which, you know, you know I, I write news com commentary, so I go to lots of different news sites all the time. Some of them have that, um, you know, in lieu of ad revenue, they have this this page block where you can read the first paragraph and then read any more. Mm. You, they've got the um, Google questionnaire thing. Yeah. Where they're trying to do some research and get some some data about whatever. And I've noticed that, in this past month, a lot of those are, are you planning to vote this, this election? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that keeps on is a particular proposition, uh, 112 in Colorado, which oh, is yes. trying to, you know, increase the perimeter around homes and schools and stuff where you can drill for oil. And Google keeps asking me, are you voting for this or against this? It's like, you know, Google, these are secret ballots for a reason. There's no way I'm ever, ever, ever going to tell you what I voted for. Yeah, yeah. 112 is the hot issue in Colorado. Yeah, every state's got it and everything. But if you're outside of Colorado, you probably have no idea what 112 is. But it's, it's hot as in dangerous. Like, you 
you, you could have one of your very best friends or closest neighbors. You just don't even want to mention what it is you're voting on 112 because if they're the, on the other side of the issue, you might just have ended the friendship. <laughs> yeah. So you just, just nobody talks about it. It's just everybody's got their opinion and it's going to go and vote, but it's like you don't dare mention to another person uh, what it is you're going to yeah, and I understand both sides quite clearly. I mean, yeah, one of the things, you know, one side it's health and safety and all that, and I, I get that. The other side is, you know, multiple billions in tax revenues from oil companies. Yeah. You know, that's pretty compelling too. So it's, it's not a real easy slam dunk issue. No, no, it is not. It's uh, definitely one that they're going to be covering really closely tomorrow. And speaking of coverage, yes, <laughs> that's a good segue. What uh, a segue! We, as you can imagine, we've got a bunch of uh, of uh, you know topics here that have to do with the election. With the uh, we recorded, well, not Sunday too many. I don't, I don't want to scare anybody. Yeah, no, no, yeah. <laughs> start off, but the uh, you know it's because we record this on Monday night, and uh, tomorrow, of course, is the election here in the United States. And so, one technology related thing I saw was that uh, ABC News is going all in with augmented reality. So this is more of a, of a tech kind of news coverage thing than an election thing. But they're, they're doing this whole thing. It's going to be interesting to see. I'm certainly going to tune in from a tech standpoint to see what's going on. But they're using augmented reality in a 360-degree stage, basically, where you'll be able to, to watch on their site and not just see what the camera's pointed at, but see everything all around the room. And the room is basically all these multiple desks. It's a big ring of desks and two floors of them too. And as the, I guess their main camera is going to go from desk to desk and person to person as they, they do normally, you'll be able to actually look on the website or, or, you know, use either app, I guess, and flip around and look at different sections of the room to see what's going on. That's one part of it. Another part of it is, uh, cause I was trying to figure out why they were doing this. Cause it seemed like just a, spending a lot of money on a stunt. But a big part of it is they're Oops. going to try to put the infographics in the space with them. So instead of cutting away to like a pie chart, and then now you're not seeing the person talk, you're seeing a big pie chart on the screen, they would actually like put the pie chart in the room like it's hanging there in space, and the people would still be there. And they actually show some things on the, the link we're going to send course by the time you listen to this yeah, I, I just I clicked it. on the 360 view and it started playing music so <laughs> yeah they, i mean they show like with they show actually the charts actually appearing in front of the desks like on the floor in front of the desks so you know it's kind of interesting to see that you know to have these these infographics occupy a 3d space inside of the set so the people actually broadcasting there you know talking they wouldn't have these graphs appear in midair in front of them but you would see them and instead of the camera cutting away these things would just kind of appear there uh in the space and the idea being that um it'll be better to view that way instead of cutting off you know the weird thing i it makes me wonder about i mean if you can look around and and see everything and, Mm -hmm. and look behind you and all that kind of stuff are they going to hide the cameras? They they talk about that in the article. They oh, say they? Okay. you know the cameras are pretty small and they're they're there, but you really don't notice them. And they and they do show. I think they show some sample footage, you know, because they've been testing it out. Apparently, they've been letting people in, uh, and they get to sit at the desks 
for hours and hours while they just basically test all the cameras and things out. So they're just people having conversations, sitting at desks that have nothing to do with the news. Uh, and yeah, it's looking at it. I mean, I guess if I really wanted to look, I really wanted to find these cameras, I could see them, but you know, they're not like these huge big things like they were back right. in the day. Right. You know, they're, they're kind of hidden and they're much cheaper so they can have a lot more of yeah. them. A lot of them. So it's going to be interesting to see. I, I want to see what they do. Just like when they introduced any any of this new stuff, um, I like seeing it. I liked, you know, years ago, uh, they introduced, I think it was during like the Oscars or Golden Globes, you know, the whole idea of a 360 camera for the fashion, you know. Right. So, you know, and, and I think it was interesting the first time they did it. And then since then, it just hasn't really worked very well. It's like, um, you know, the, but I think it is interesting to do it that way you know use this new technology where it makes sense to do it um so interested to see if that makes their coverage any better and then it'll be interesting to flip between channels and see the kind of old-fashioned coverage where they do cut away to another screen or have a screen behind somebody and compare that to what abc well you never know the other networks may have something similar because you know they spend a lot of time and money Mm-hmm. building these things because they know that elections are of interest. And it's usually the midterms are, you know, kind of boring and nobody pays attention, but this year, yeah, people are really paying attention. So they're, right. they're spending a lot of money. Um, I was just skimming the article while you we were talking and it says the graphics alone required approximately 36,000 lines of computer code and over 1000 AR tracking markers to be placed within a set which is kind of interesting you know just from a tech standpoint like you were saying right yeah they've been working on this for six months it says in the article so this isn't this isn't something where some one guy had an idea hey let's try to do something really techy i'll throw something together i mean this there's a lot of people involved so that's what really makes makes me more interested than anything else if they put this much effort behind it what are we going to see and now another thing i'm going to be watching tomorrow night is um the uh Apple News, you know, so Apple has a news app that's in all the iPhones, the iPads, and on Macs, and they've had a section called Midterm Elections, and tomorrow night, supposedly, that section is getting changed into Election Night, and you'll be able to see all that stuff you see on TV, but as articles and as statistics and numbers and everything, Um, so kind of an interactive 2D screen experience for you. and Apple doesn't do like the algorithmic thing like Google does. And I don't know what Facebook does exactly, but I know Google tries to do everything by algorithm. Apple actually has like live editors. So as different results come in, there'll actually be people there selecting, say, you know, the article from the local newspaper in this town to go to the front page, something interesting happened and put that there and then have this result from the Associated Press go into this table and update that and all of that. So it'll be, I'm going to be looking at that too and seeing what that experience is like because I would love it if I could actually feel I'm keeping tabs on things election night without actually watching TV. Have it actually on my, uh, my MacBook or my iPad. Yeah. Thanks for reminding me of that because I have an iPad and it's yeah. recently uh, updated its OS. So why not? Cool. So... So interesting stuff. And I think, like you said about midterm elections, that's part of it too is, you know, they want to try all this stuff out on a midterm election 
Yeah. And, you know, two years from now, there'll be a presidential election that probably will get a lot of attention on the news. And they'll, you know, have figured things out uh, by then and maybe maybe not take as many risks on an election like that. So It's going to be an interesting week. Let's just put it that way. I think no matter how it comes out, people yep. are going to be upset or gleeful or whatever. Um, it, we're a divided country right now, and I don't think that's going to heal itself anytime really soon. Yep. Yeah. That's for sure. So... Uh, another election news, the other story, uh, interesting talk about divisions, is this idea of um, taking a selfie in the voting booth, right? So this right. is new. that we had, We've had this for our last few elections, um, but rules are slowly uh, changing. So, you know, a lot of people are surprised to find out every election that doing something like taking your phone and you get into the booth and take a picture of yourself. Hey, look, I'm voting. Well, guess what? That's illegal in most states. In a lot of them, yeah. Yeah, and the reason it's illegal, and you know, because people aren't thinking, you know, it's different frames of mind, right? You think, why would that be illegal? Um, the reason is, is because there were laws passed um, for coercion purposes where you would at, be asked to show your ballot to somebody to make sure you're voting correctly or incorrectly or however you want to do it. And there are laws in place to say, hey, you can't do that. You can't, you know, show your ballot to somebody else. Um, and the idea is to prevent people from from forcing people to vote a certain way. Yeah, but, Colorado's had a law like that since the 1800s. Yeah, and, and they made sense before we had mobile phones with cameras, you know, they, which they did not envision happening. And then all of a sudden we had mobile phones with cameras, selfies became a thing, social media became a thing, and people forged ahead without thinking for a second because they're not being coerced to vote at all. They're just wanting to take a selfie of themselves because they're proud that they're voting. And, uh, and it turns out, oh, it's illegal the way the law was written. Um, so states have been reversing it. So interestingly enough, it's preparing for tonight, and I think you saw me do this, was... Um, I found one article that tried to do a chart of all the states, and I was surprised to find Colorado was listed as uh, it's illegal in Colorado. And I thought, whoa, wait a minute. I thought we changed that. And then I looked it up, and sure enough, we have changed that yeah. and found a more accurate article uh, that we'll link to that actually does say that you know Colorado has a new uh, – has changed their lo- the law. So the, yeah, It was early last year that, that, uh, yeah. that was signed in the law. So I guess whoever I, I think you, you can't actually show what your votes are, but yeah. a picture of yourself in a voting booth is not a problem in Colorado anymore. But before you do it, it's a good idea to check. So we'll uh, have that article linked. Yeah, there's some. I mean, if you look through the laws too, it's interesting because it breaks it down state by state. It's a CNN article that we've got, and just you know the way that the laws are written in each state just a little bit different so they're you know just odd things like you said like you might be able to take a picture of yourself in the booth but not of what's you know, what your ballot looks like or you know just odd uh, things like that and the way they're written it's fascinating to read i think um you know i remember in like civics class or government class one of the things you talk about are weird laws you know like a, the state that has a wall a law against whistling underwater and <laughs> I think Colorado has some weird law about elephants or something. 
you know, it was meant to just stop uh, circus parades, you mm. know? So anyway, every state's got weird laws. And if you like reading about those, uh, then this list is actually kind of like that because these laws are kind of so outdated and weird. Uh, it's interesting to hear what each state thinks is legal. And it's also interesting to see that, you know, a lot of states haven't done anything to change things. You know, they haven't updated these, even though this problem is not going to go away. Probably more people are going to want to take selfies without knowing that it's illegal this year than any year before. Yeah. And if you do do it, don't get somebody else in the background. I mean, take a picture of yourself. Sure. But yeah, not other people. Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, take a picture outside, uh, or take a picture of you wearing your new, I voted sticker, <laughs> yeah. that, that kind of thing. There's a lot of good things that you can do. Um, you know, just to, if you're worried about being safe or, you know, Hey, take, you know, do what you think you want to do, <laughs> you know? Um, uh, so if you think the law in your state is wrong, I don't know. It's up to you. Yep. There you and, go. So, w- uh, I think it was XKCD had a, a little panel uh, last week on selfies in the voting booth. And the interesting question he uh, posed was, if I vote against, you know, vote for a new law making it legal, can I take a selfie of me casting that vote? <laughs> <laughs> I guess the answer would be no, but then who is going to, uh, who is going to go and try to get you for that law, right? You know? one of those things I'll link to that, uh, that cartoon yeah, i like to that cartoon i mean it's like one of those one of those things like uh you know you have this all the time in a more serious vein you know you had this thing when when colorado legalized you know it was the first state to legalize marijuana possession by you know just for small amounts of marijuana recreational yeah yeah recreational you had the situation where you had people in jail who had you know, been put in jail for possession of small amounts of marijuana, something that was now legal, but they were still serving out their sentence for that exact crime. Yeah, I can see that going both ways, though, because it was illegal when they did it. Yeah, it was illegal when they it was illegal when they did it, but you you still have to look at you know it's kind of a weird it is like, legal yeah. ground. What do you do in cases like that? Uh, in most laws, when things are illegal, do not suddenly get repealed or changed in that way. And, Especially in a jailable offense. Yeah, jailable offenses don't typically, and then you end up saying, you know, well, I'm serving out two more years in jail. Why? Well, I'm doing something that now is totally legal, but I did it six months too early. So, yeah, it's the kind of same thing with the XKCD thing. You take yeah. a picture of yourself trying to change that law. Technically, you've broken the law, you know, un- unless the law has some provision in it for, like, being retroactive until, you know, before it. So uh, you had a story also about uh, yeah. Speaking selfies. of yeah. selfies, um, there was an article or, or an event last week that uh, a couple from India that live in the United States managed to fall off a cliff while they were taking selfies of each other. They were known for putting you know doing risky fun things and and putting the pictures on Instagram and. The thing that really caught me was um, I found an article in the London Telegraph about this, but they also had a little chart at the bottom of the page. uh, And these are 2017 numbers that um, 
in 2017, Carnegie Mellon University in Pennsylvania did a account of known selfie deaths. And USA came in third with eight. Uh, and number one, by far, with 76 people killed, was India. And I just thought that was a really interesting cultural thing. I mean, number two was Pakistan with nine. So it's like, what is it about India that, that just really liked doing risky things with selfies? Wow, yeah. Well, there was a story earlier on uh, this year, not that long ago, about three Canadians who are YouTube, YouTube travel vloggers who died um, and they were, as they were swept over a waterfall. Mm. So I missed that one. Yeah. And, uh, and Canada isn't even on this top 20 list. Mm. So it would be, it'll be interesting to see the 2018 lists. I hope Carnegie uh, updates it. Yeah. Well, probably this stuff's always gone on, right? There's probably always been adventurers and people seeking to do records. I mean, I read a lot of history and certainly in the golden age of sale or explore golden age of exploration, I guess it was called, right? You had lots of ships filled with men leaving, you know, Europe to try to find a passage, you know, the Northwest passage or explore, you know, parts of the sea that hadn't been explored. And lots of them died. Yeah. Um, and they were all, they're you know, trying to make a name for themselves and trying to become famous and take part of that. Um, so, you know, uh, I suppose, except now it's a little more superficial, I guess is the difference, right? Nobody's actually doing anything that nobody's done before. They're right. just wanting to. And, and you know, I mean, cameras have had self timers on them for years. So yeah. you, you know, this happened before the cell phone era too, but certainly everybody having a phone in their pocket has really kicked up the number of selfies that are being taken. Well, and also the desire to become famous right. through Instagram and YouTube and you know Facebook and try to get more followers and more fans. And I mean, I see people, it's not just travel. I see people doing science experiments, right? You know, you know, just trying to blow stuff up or take apart things or, you know, do a, jetpack or whatever it is. I mean, I don't know about any particular uh, accidents or deaths, but, but sometimes I watch these things, you know, some, somebody blowing something up and, Oh yeah, check it out. I mean, usually I'm watching them knowing that there wasn't an accident, you know, it's the same kind of thing when you watch documentaries on TV and somebody's about to do something dangerous and you're like, and they play tense music and it's like, Oh, they're about to handle a dangerous animal or do a dangerous stunt. And you're like, well, now I, I think he's going to be okay because he's the star of the show and right. uh, they probably wouldn't be airing this episode, you know, if something horrible was going to happen. So, uh, but you know, but still, um, and I see you found an article on the uh, on the three that went over the fall. Yeah, yeah, that, I just posted that. Uh, the, the gal fell in. The two guys tried to jump in and save her, and they all went over the the uh, waterfall. But here's the interesting thing about that one. Mm-hmm. According to the headline, these were YouTube travel influencers. How's that for a job title? Wow. Yeah, I mean it's good work if you can get it. I guess. I it's guess, not, but don't but that just kind of goes to show what. What um, social media has really changed things where, you know, you, you, I've certainly heard of influencers before, uh, very specific in this one that they had to do with travel, but, you know, that wasn't a job that you could get five years ago. 
No, <laughs> no, that was not uh, something that appeared on resumes. Yeah, I actually have a I you know because I I like to travel a lot as I know you do too, and I sometimes I like to post pictures. And I um like to blog about it, and I do the opposite of what these guys do. I make sure that my travel blog will never be popular. It's actually <laughs> it's actually called the mild tourist <laughs> because I'm the opposite of that. I don't do it. Uh, you'll never see me bungee jump or, you know, skydive or, you know, do any of this stuff. You're not an um, adrenaline, adrenaline junkie. No, not a, I will go and see things. I will go and explore a fascinating museum or go to a historic landmark and just be there and experience it. Or I, the, the biggest thing I do is go for like a hike, you know, like where basically I'm putting one foot in front of the other <laughs> for a few days and camping out and not taking any risks or doing anything dangerous. Well, uh, I, can, I can just hear your TV show now, your travel channel show. Gary is now going to try to elbow his way through the crowd and get a glance of the Mona Lisa. <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> so I've done, done exactly that, except that, uh, like my usual thing that I'd say in the in the blog is don't even, I, I don't even go when there's a crowd. Like um, this summer when I was in uh, uh, Venice, right? There's places that are like that where it's like super crowded all the time, uh, except it's six a.m. <laughs> yeah, what I would do, I'd get up in the morning, I'd take a picture of the sunrise, I'd go to some of these places that are usually impossible to move around in because they're so crowded, but I do it at six a.m. There's nobody around. And then I go take a nice nap in the afternoon while everybody else is uh, elbowing each other to try to see historic landmarks. Um, That's what I did when I took Kit to Disneyland. We, I've always wanted, I mean, I lived in Southern California for the first 10 years of my life, and I always wanted to stay at the Disneyland Hotel so you could, you know, go in right when it opens. And, you know, we lived down there. My dad wasn't going to spring for that. So when I took my wife to Disneyland, I did spring for that. And we got out, you know, first in the morning because if you stay at the hotel, you actually get in a half hour earlier. Mm. And then when it was really hot in the afternoon, we went back to the hotel, took a nap, and then we could stay up till it closed at midnight or whatever it was. So, you know, it's really a kind of a civilized way of doing things. Yeah, and and very mild touristy <laughs> yeah. you know, for, for what I try to do. Just what's the... What's the I don't know, just the easiest, nicest way to, to do things while you're a tourist. Instead of the exciting, you know, diving into streams and taking selfies off of cliffs and all that kind of thing. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, but I think neither of us are going to get tons of people or be called a, an influencer uh, for our right. efforts. So that's, that's the difference there. Well, I think we've probably beaten that to death. Yeah. But speaking of travel and going out in the wilderness, you've got something uh, for Lost Hikers. Yeah, this is a, a small item. I, I thought this is kind of obvious, but there's a story here in uh, Science Daily. It actually was repeated everywhere on the internet, but I tried to track down the original source. I think it was Science Daily about using drones to find lost hikers. So, you know, now when a hiker's lost in the wilderness, uh, I mean, there's lots of people with a search party. There's maybe expensive helicopters, all of this stuff going on. Uh, to try to find these people. And usually if there's an injury or something, it's very, you know, time is of concern. You know, I've got to find them before they, you know, run out of water or, or freeze or freeze or bleed to death or whatever. And it, it, it's tough. It's one of these things. I mean, you probably know a little bit 
more about it as somebody does do, you know, rescue type operations. So they, of course, want to use drones for it. But the problem is, and as they demonstrate at a video, one video I saw, is a drone's view of a forest is basically the tops of trees. It's not very helpful. Right. Uh, so the drones need to fly below, basically at the height that people would be. Um, and in order to do that, they can't really have GPS access because you're out in the wilderness so there's no cell phone towers or Wi-Fi signals. So they need a satellite, in, you know, uh, GPS, but the trees block that. And these, uh, so they don't have a way to use drones for that. And they're developing a system that basically maps things out using the same kind of things that, uh, you know, uh, self-driving cars use. And, and I guess probably Roombas too, you know, to map things out as they move among the trees. Um, and it's fascinating, the stuff they're developing, I guess at MIT, um, using like an array of drones that take the shortest paths that are trying to be very fuel efficient and that possibly will even talk to each other. So as one drone comes near another drone, they learn from each other what, what's already been covered. So, you know, drone A doesn't recover ground that drone B covered. They can all kind of figure it out. And the idea is to cover an area as quickly and efficiently as possible because um, the drones run out of battery fast. Yeah. Um, and then cover a large area and also use object recognition to try to recognize if there's a person there as the drone's flying by. Um, so anyway, it's fascinating and it looks like progress is being made. And I have no doubt that within a couple of years, there'll probably be, uh, you know, these drone arrays, you know, sets of drones people can buy at, you know, rescue teams could buy and use to help locate lost hikers in wilderness. Which would be really neat. Yeah. I, I used to be a search and rescue deputy in California, sheriff's deputy. And I've done searches in heavy wooded areas. So it, it is a big problem. And if you can automate a lot of that, it would be so much faster to find people it would be incredible. So the interesting tech on this is that they're not using the satellites, GPS, to navigate. They're using laser range finders and ducking around trees and stuff so they don't run into things. So that's the hardest thing about flying a completely manual drone in, in low altitudes where you can hit something. It's, it's kind of hard sometimes not to hit something, but they're – developing this technology where the drone can kind of steer around these things by itself. And it's really interesting what the applications are for that, like search and rescue. Yeah, it's a thing a lot, a lot of people who haven't used drones don't realize, of course, is most of them are manually controlled, right? If you've yeah. ever seen a guy you know, in the park and he's got you know, the view on his iPad and he's got a controller and the drone isn't doing anything on its own, you know, that person is flying the drone. These search and rescue drones that's a totally different thing. They need to go out on their own, usually out of range of, you know, whatever home base is and figure this all out on, the, on their own and come back um, with the information. So it's a interesting problem. It's yeah. And part of what's enabling that tech is drone based, um, basically TV screens in the sky where you have these swarms of drones that have, LEDs on them with different colors and they can actually, you know, paint pictures or whatever in the sky, which I think we've talked about before. Yeah. Early. One of our it's first pretty episodes, interesting. Just the, the whole idea of using 
these computer systems to keep track of them all, make sure they're all in the right place. And if one of them runs out of battery or fails for some reason, how do you replace that? Is it a critical pixel that they need to get filled in or what? So it's real interesting, all this different tech that's coming together to do something a little bit more useful than just show pictures. Right. And I love uh, when, you know, the entertainment uses of tech feeds back into the, you know, the more critical usefulness because it's all crossover technology, right? You know, the battery, the batteries and the motors and stuff that go into the drones that display stuff or some of that tech probably goes back into these search and rescue drones. And, you know, it just uh, moves the, all the technology forward until we eventually have drones that will hunt and kill us all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's hardly wrong. Just kind of as an aside, I have a website called Drone Pilot Wings. When I got my first drone, I thought it would be neat to have pilot wings for a drone. So I I designed them and had them made and they're metal and all that. And people were buying them. I've had I've been doing this for a few years and, and they've been selling reasonably well. All of a sudden, the people that are buying them has changed. It's now cops and fire departments and other government agencies. Uh, one ROTC bought 100 pair of these wings. I mean, crazy. That just shows that they're expecting drones to be a big deal. And, you know, especially in policing, they are becoming a big deal. And they want something on their uniforms that kind of make them stand out a little bit. Wow. That's it. I didn't know you had that. I do. Yeah. That's really cool. It makes me want to get a drone just so I can <laughs> learn how to use it and then <laughs> get, get, get your wings. wings. Yeah. Just walk around town with the wings on my shirt. Right. <laughs> well, we have a, a mutual friend that is really, really, really into drones. Yeah. I'm yeah. High end. You know, he's a, he's a photographer. photographer. Yep. Yeah. We're a fantastic photographer. And he actually got the first pair when, when those came in, I mailed him <laughs> one and he was really touched and, and he's on TV a lot to talk about drones and why they're not a bad thing and and the kind of kinds of uses we're talking about now. And the cameraman that when he was being interviewed zoomed in on the wings. So they've even been on TV. Oh, awesome. Yeah. It. Yeah. So so thus ends our enthusiastic part of the podcast. <laughs> now let's now, get cranky. Now we, we're going to get really cranky, both of us. What do you got? Well, you, you and I both are in Colorado, so we're, we're both going to be cranky about this. So in June or July, the Supreme Court, uh, yeah, it was June, the Supreme Court said that, yeah, you states can collect sales tax from even outside uh, companies that are shipping products into the state. So Colorado is one of those that has a sales tax. There's only like two states that don't. And Colorado is going so far as to say, you have to use a database to look up this person's address and find out which of the 683 different taxing districts they're in and get that appropriate tax rate and charge that to the customer. And there's been some things about, you know, if if you don't ship more than $100,000 of merchandise to a state, you can kind of 
get away with not doing this because they're kind of taking care of really small businesses. This isn't for Amazon or Best Buy. The problem with Colorado is if you are a business in the state, there's no such minimum. It's if you sell $1 worth of stuff, you have to collect sales tax and at the right rate. Yeah. And of course, there's not plugins for, you know, the the popular shopping carts yet, like WooCommerce, at least that I'm aware of, that can do that database lookup for you and do it right. And then once you do it right, how do you report this to the state? I mean, it's just going to be a nightmare. Yeah. And now what I, I read, read it over because, you know, I'm pretty passionate about this kind of thing. I didn't even know about it until you told me about it today. Um, and in addition, there being 683 different potential tax amounts, depending upon the exact address of the person you're shipping to, uh, most of those, the vast majority of them, you remit payment to the state. So in most cases, as long as you can figure out the amount, say it's like 6%, 6.23% for this person, you, you can you know, collect that and then you pay it to the state and then it's the state's problem to figure out how to get it to the different tax districts. However, there are 70 plus, I think 72 or 74, I forget, different independent tax districts. So towns or counties that decided they don't want the state to handle their sales tax. And you have to go and figure that out on your own. So maybe if I, say if I was selling things online and I sold somebody something um, you know, in Boulder, maybe that one I'd figure it out at 7.4 and then I just report that on my taxes and pay that. But if then somebody in some county, XYZ County, buy something, and it turns out that that's an independent one, then I suppose I have to contact that county, establish an account with them, and then make the whole report for that one sale and send them their, you know, 23 cents, 23 cents, um, just for that one. And if I sell a lot of stuff in the state, you know, maybe I sell something that, you know, to Colorado people, Colorado stickers or something. So I'm selling all over the state. I may have to, you know, do dozens and dozens of these, or maybe even all 70 some have independent little things I file. And I think one guy in, I don't know if it was the article he sent me or somewhere else that I saw, uh, said that their accountant said it was going to cost at least 60 bucks just to file a form. So if you talk about 70 different taxing entities, in addition to the state itself, you know, it's suddenly you're losing money with every sale. You know, unless you sell hundreds of items into that one little county, that $60 your accountant is going to charge you to file that form and get your number and then file your taxes every year with them, uh, which seemed like a pretty small number too for an accountant to do all that work. Um, it, that'll that'll bankrupt you, right? You sell something for ten bucks, you made two dollars profit, and now you're paying your accountant sixty dollars to file the taxes for that twenty three cents or whatever. Um, yeah, and this article was in the Denver Post a couple of days ago, and you know a lot of small businesses are really upset by this. I'm upset by this if this you know it, it is going in, into effect. They, they they're starting uh, December first with this. I might have to stop selling to my own state yeah. um, and what happens in all the other states i mean if there's 48 states that collect sales tax that's 
I mean, Colorado isn't that big of a state. We have 683 tax districts. Imagine shipping stuff to California. Yeah. There are some states, I think, that have unified things. Like, if I remember correctly, there are some states that this state is just one tax. If you sell into it or whatever, you're involved with this, it's just one. And Colorado, I know, is one of the more extreme ones where we – because we have, you know – overlapping districts. So for instance, I think one of the worst ones is not that far from me. There's a, a mall called the Park Meadows Mall in Lone Tree, Colorado, which is just right I've outside of Denver. Yeah. And they that mall has a is a tax district. So the mall itself just the mall itself. Just the mall itself and the few stores around it. And it was a special wow. thing to say, okay, we're gonna add a little sales tax to all the stores in this mall that pay for the upkeep of that piece of land that where the mall is on. It's part of the agreement. And the road going into it probably. Yeah, yeah. Part of the agreement when they built the mall, but you have that, then you have the County that it's in, you know, then you have the state sales tax. Then it's part of the RTD district, which is our regional transit district, which a lot of cities have that where there's a sure. tax entity that's, goes over several counties because that's where the buses travel. And then there's a few other city related things. I don't know if like the, there's a arts science, district, arts and district. Science district and things like yeah. that. Yeah. And I think all of those kind of overlap in that one little area. Um, and thankfully I don't think anybody lives in that district. I think it's only stores, but the, uh, but yeah, it can get really complex trying to figure out like at this address, how many, um, different things. Now they do actually, one of the things Colorado is doing is like, Oh, gee, thanks. That's a big help. But they're, they're making one of the databases official and they're saying, look, use this database for addresses and this will tell you the tax amount. And if it's wrong, you're, you're not, not liable. liable. Yeah. yeah. Which is nice, but it still doesn't help if the database returns the, you know, to you that, Oh, you have to contact XYZ County and pay taxes to them. And you know, that's not helpful. Although you could have, you could, potentially like for you, like for selling um, things in Colorado, instead of saying, I, I'm not going to sell to Colorado anymore. You can just say, I'm not going to sell if you're at certain addresses. So if it, you are in one of these little districts that you would have to go and do all this work to pay the sales tax, you just say, sorry, I don't ship to that address. And then if they are in, you know, a major city and or wherever it is. And but do you have a peel box somewhere else? <laughs> yeah. Or can you stop by? <laughs> I will leave it. I'll leave it for you at the, uh, at the, you know, on I 70 at the uh, rest stop and you could just pick it up there. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you, you could even do something like this is, you know, like we used to, my wife and I used to own a bookstore. So we would have had this issue when we shipped books throughout Colorado um, back then, we don't have the bookstore anymore, so we don't have to deal with it. But like, I could have seen myself saying, what's the highest tax rate? Probably downtown Denver, right? You know, it's probably the highest tax rate. Yeah, uh, probably nine something percent or so. Well, it, after this, there's, got, there's a lot of little tax increases on the ballot this year. But yeah, I think it's seven point something, but it could go into the eight, high eight percents, I think. Um, I, you know, just pick the highest rate. And I would just overpay because for books and stuff, it would be pennies difference. So just say, look, you buy something in Colorado, you're going to pay 8.7% tax to make sure we don't run afoul of any tax laws and then pay the state all that money. And then if some county wants to go and write a check back to us for 15 cents because we overpaid, then they can go ahead and do that. (laughs) But chances are they probably won't. And that's one way to handle it. And I looked it up while you were talking. The combined rate in 
Denver is 7.65 currently. Currently, yeah, it'll go up uh, after this election. There's a bunch of small fractions of a penny kind of increases that people are uh, going to, you know, for education and for things right. like that that are that are on the ballot. So, so yeah, it, that stuff really makes me upset. I think there is a meeting for it uh, at some point, and I'm tempted to go to it. it, it honestly, paranoia keeps me away from those. It's like. You go to it, is some, is some tax uh, auditor going to take note of my presence and say, oh, let's audit him. <laughs> yeah. Maybe even just mentioning that on this podcast will get me audited. Who knows? Right. So, And, you know, obviously this is a job for software. But yeah. as I said, I don't think there's any software that small businesses, I mean, Amazon, yeah, they can do anything. Yeah. Little guys like you and me, it's going to be a big deal unless there's a, great plugin that doesn't cost a fortune that we can put on our shopping carts. And, you know, we're, we're harping on Colorado, but this is going to be an issue in every state. Yep. So, and, and even if you live in a state like Oregon that doesn't have sales tax, if you have a little business and you're shipping stuff to other states, you're going to have to start collecting sales tax. Yeah, that's true. And coming up with, you know, all this data that you would need it's going to be expensive. Even if you get it done right and, and easily with software, you're probably going to be looking at uh, maybe spending a certain amount of money to get it right. And then you're going to look and say, wait a minute, my profit selling stuff in Colorado was less than what I spent on the add-on for WooCommerce for Colorado sales tax. And then you're going to say, well. Yeah, but it, it's not really going to be Colorado. It's going to be every yeah. Well, so, you have to I add mean, each one. I mean, it, it would be nonsense to make a plug-in just for Colorado. Um, but, you know, it's, it's going to be a mess. Well, Thanks. it's got to be more than just a plug-in because if you somebody, you know, ends up buying from a county where they're an independent tax entity, somehow right. money has to go from your account. Well, and presumably part of this software is going to be creating these forms that yeah. you have to mail in. Well, that'll be helpful. Unless you have to mail 70 of them yeah. every year, <laughs> you know, and then get back the little, like, here's your tax ID number for this County that you've never heard of. And then you have to put that into the database. Well, and as you said, there's probably going to be some online businesses that are going to say, I'm not going to sell to that taxing district. If you live there, right. sorry. Well, I think when, work address. the common sense thing that needs to be done just to propose a solution is there needs to be a, a minimum applied, you know, just like there is for the federal decision, right? There needs to be some sort of thing like where, you know, this, this rule only applies if you sell more than, you know, 10 items or a hundred items or something into each. Or $10 or a hundred dollars or whatever. Yes. If there was some reasonable minimum, even if it, even if you triggered it, like even if say you were an independent bookstore and it turns out that you have to file three little tax reports because you did sell enough into those three counties, that's better than 70, you know? Yeah. Uh, so hopefully maybe it'll do that. Maybe, maybe there, the article did seem to suggest that a lot of small businesses were up in arms against this. So hopefully that will uh, maybe cause them to to change things or maybe just a flood of paperwork of everybody trying to file all this stuff 
we'll get the state to actually say, well, wait, wait a minute, we're losing money now too. <laughs> with right. all these, because it does reports. cost money to process. I mean, are they going to yeah. put in you know, 23 cents for Jefferson County and 18 cents for Boulder County? And you know, what, what a pain. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then you have to add the cost of people that go out of business and the cost of people that decide not to go into business. Right. You yeah. decide, hey, I'm not going to – I had this idea for a little Etsy thing where I sell bracelets, and then you see all this stuff, and you say, uh, never mind. It's not worth it. And yeah. now you've taken a little tiny bite out of the economy because you're you – know, And they up. add up because there's going to be a lot of tiny bites. Yep. Well, that's probably a good place to, to wrap. Yep. Uh, what are we doing next week? Uh, so I've uh, I've actually finished – a course for my uh, WP tips and hacks already. Wow. Site. Already. Yeah. Well, I wanted to, I really wanted to jump on the courses thing. Um, and you know, my courses for Mac most, I generally, you know, already had people that were following me on Mac most and I made courses that they could then get kind of doing it the opposite here where I want to get some courses up on Udemy uh, to let people know that <laughs> WP tips and hacks um exists and, yeah. yeah so i wanted to get some courses together there's no lack of topics and interesting things to talk about or build courses about when it comes to wordpress so i'm going to finish up my first course and uh probably will have it up there later this week so that'll take up a little bit of my time but it always feels good to uh to get a project like that done how about yeah. you and i know you can crank out videos because you do it every day so yeah i've really become uh yeah, that's my thing. Adept at it. Yeah. Um, I am, my wife and I are both um, volunteer medics in our rural county. And our rural county this weekend is going to do an active shooter exercise. So you'd think, you know, really small town, you got to deal with this? Yeah, we do. Um, you might remember there's a school up in the mountains above Denver, the Platte Canyon High School. Uh, in 2006, had a shooting where some guy went in and and took hostages and all that stuff, you know. So even if you live in a small town, we got to work on this kind of stuff. And and uh, back in 2013, we actually did a training on that, and uh, it was a two day training. We brought people over from Denver to to teach us you know, what's what's the state of the art now and and how to do this. And cops were in the class with us. And how you have to work together. It was really interesting, kind of scary. And um, just by chance, the next day, no, we didn't have a, a shooter, but we did have um, an accident with, uh, I think we had 14 victims. And we had to deal with this multi casualty incident and transport them all to hospitals. Wow. So it was amazing the coincidence, but it, happened you know, we pulled it off so smoothly we didn't even bring ambulances from the next county to, to help us transport it was amazing wow so yeah. that's kind of some of the things that that your ems guys are doing uh in their spare time yeah spare time yeah no that's, yeah. that's fantastic and fascinating cool all right so well, i think that's a good place to wrap yeah, yeah sounds good all right. Well, the show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh48. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at the TEH Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again here next week. Bye.